Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's right and what's wrong with relationships and marriage in our world today. The following episode was recorded live at a marriage conference held in February of this year. It's taken from a video version, which has been edited to make it more understandable since you don't have the advantage of seeing the graphic illustrations that were used in the presentation. Keep checking our website, growinglovenetwork.org, for the video version, which we should have up soon. It will include some of those important graphic illustrations, which will make some of the points and concepts clearer. Also, each episode in this mini-series builds on the concepts presented in the one before it, although we have made a concerted effort to make each episode be one that can stand alone as a learning tool. You'll gain much more if you listen to each one in order, as some of the concepts rely on understanding the more basic concepts that are presented in the preceding episodes. This series is titled, How to Have Lifelong Love. This episode is titled, Key Elements to Lifelong Love. A little heads up for this episode, about 20 minutes into the presentation, a huge rainstorm blew in and the sound of the rain hitting the roof was pretty deafening to the audience. But thank goodness for technology, we were able to engineer a lot of that noise out, and the quality of the audio wasn't greatly affected. But you, not knowing that, would probably be a little bit confused when we get to that point, as we do a little stopping and stuttering for a moment, trying to adjust to the loud noise. Uh, was anybody that's here today not here last night? Raise your hand. That's okay. Oh, everybody? Okay. A couple over here. We're going to do a little bit of recap here in a bit, um, but uh, just a very little bit of recap. But I, I want to tell you about something that I really love to do in life. I was in Boy Scouts, and uh, the re- main reason I joined Boy Scouts is because I love to go camping. And our Boy Scout leader was awesome. He took us all the way. I grew up in West Texas. He took us all the way to Colorado for a week-long backpacking trip. And uh, this backpacking trip was in wilderness. There's no roads. There's no anything except wilderness. And we would go and climb. We climbed a couple of 14,000-foot peaks during that week. And we lived out of literally out of what we carried on our backs that, that, whole, that whole week. And I was addicted from the get-go. And I would find a way every summer to go back and climb another 14er. And then when Joanne and I got married a year later, I, I'd been pressured, can we move to Colorado? So when we finished college, we moved to Colorado. And I immediately started spending every bit of my extra money, which wasn't much, but on, on backpacking equipment. And uh, my goal was I was going to climb every single, 53 of them, every single 14,000 foot or higher peak in Colorado. I only got about, oh, uh, not quite uh, two-thirds of them finished. But um, one of the things I love about backpacking is that simplicity of going out there for three, four days at a time, and everything that I need to live is right here in my back. All the other stuff that weighs you down in life is is not there and when i'm saying stuff that the actual material things you know that start piling up you don't have them i'm free from all that i love the freedom feel of it and so when joanna and i got married to me our marriage was going to be this lifelong backpacking adventure we were going to set out together on an adventure through god's creation with people and all that other stuff. But uh, we would sometimes just, just be the two of us, and we would climb mountains together and go down trails. And, but everything that we needed was going to be right here, except my idea of marriage was that we were going to switch backpacks. I was going to carry her backpack, everything she needed, from a human being, and she was going to carry mine. And it sounded really romantic, this, I'm going to be everything for you that you need, and you're going to be everything for me. And then we got going in life, and using this analogy, 
you know, you get some places where there's some rough terrain, and you get some places where there's some steep terrain in life. And so when you're carrying the other person's pack and you're heading up a really steep, long hill, after a while you're going, man, this is heavy. And so then you want to sit down and let's take a break for a minute. So you sit down and take that pack off. And, and I, my first thought was, surely there's something in here that's weighing me down that we don't need. So I reach in there and I, we don't need this, do we? And it, it's not important to me. And to Joanna, it's like, what do you mean? That's like top of the list. We really need that. And I'm like, really? Because it's, it's heavy. It's weighing me down. And well, let's look in your backpack, John. So she's, well, we surely don't need this. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. No, that really matters to me. Really? And then we start to resent that we're carrying this weight that we don't think is needed in the relationship. So the problem is not what's in the backpack. The problem is, is that we cannot carry each other's backpack. And trying to do so starts to weigh us down. So we're going to look at freedom a little bit. I hope everybody's got one of these, right? I think where I left off was lifelong love includes continually doing what causes, what leads to limerence, which is attraction. And remember, attraction can be a lot of different things. Uh, sometimes we get so focused on the physical, which, the, the sensual, which is important, but we forget about the other two, the cognitive, and, and probably what's more powerful than the cognitive, excuse me, yeah, the cognitive, is the affective. When you're making each other feel, when you're making your spouse feel accepted, that is extremely strong. Joanne and I, um, uh, I told you that after a few years into our marriage, we were really thinking, oh boy, what, we do, what have we done? And oh, somewhere in there, Joanna uh, told me, she said, you know, I've noticed that your breath is starting to smell pretty bad. And I was like, oh, boy, okay, maybe that's the problem in our marriage. So um, up until that time, I had not been a flosser. So I started flossing. And uh, I would finish flossing and go brush my teeth. And how's it now? And she's like, mm, it just smells like bad breath covered up with mint, you know. And so then I started brushing twice a day and, and using mouthwash. And that wasn't working. And she finally said, you know, I think you need to go and get this checked out. You need to go to the dentist. And I'm like, okay, well, it's been seven years since I've been to the dentist. Probably a good time to go. So I go to the dentist, and, hey, you know, he was doing all the regular uh, stuff that you do with a regular checkup and doing the fluoride treatment. And I said, hey, you know, while you're under the hood there, would you check and see if there's anything that might be causing unusually bad breath? So uh, he finished his whole checkup, and at the end he said, you know, I didn't see anything, but you know, people, we don't typically just have naturally good breath. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, no, you got to do a lot of stuff to, to deal with that. But I didn't see anything that would uh, alarm me. But uh, have you tried a tongue scraper? I said, what's that? So he, well, here I'm going to give you, he gave me a tongue scraper. And he said, you just scrape your, your tongue with it every day and get some of that stuff that's down in there between your taste buds. So I started using the tongue scraper. And now I'm flossing brushing twice a day, using mouthwash and tongue scraping. And I'm like, hey, what do you think now, Joanna? I think you need a second opinion. That dentist doesn't know what he's talking about. So I go to a second dentist. And I'm, hey, you know, it's been about a year since I went to the dentist. And uh, so while you're there, could you check and see if there's anything that might be causing unusually bad breath? Same thing. Uh, John, there's nothing that, you know, you know, we don't just naturally have good breath. Well, I figured so, but that's what another dentist told me. Yeah, um, so, you know, uh, you're brushing every day? Yeah, twice a day. You're flossing? Yeah. Have you tried a tongue scraper? Yeah, I got a tongue scraper. Yeah, I don't, I don't, man, what's making you think this? Well, my wife says that I have. He said, hmm, that sounds like it has something more to do with your relationship. See, when Joanne and I, I've always had bad breath. When Joanne and I got, uh, first started dating, I mean, I love spicy food. And we, we both love Mexican food. In fact, she's Mexican-American, so her parent, her dad makes awesome Mexican breakfast. But I love jalapenos and onions and garlic and all that stuff that 
makes your breath bad. And so we would go out when we were first dating, we'd go out and eat some really good Mexican food and I'd eat all the stuff that makes your breath smell bad. Then we'd go to a movie and get some popcorn. And then when, you know, four or five hours later, when I'm kissing her goodnight, dropping her off at her house, I'd lean over to give her a kiss and, and it was like I had the best breath in the world. I mean, there was some stuff happening there with tongues and stuff, you know. You're all married, I think, so. Uh, but it was like she loved all that. She was like, I, she was trying to dig the leftover, you know, onions out of my mouth. I know that's pretty graphic. Well, the thing is, when we are not being effectively attractive, when we are not showing acceptance to our spouse, then we become physically unattractive. And so part of, uh, we're going to talk more about intimacy later on today, but part of um, what we are doing is missing the boat. We are supposed to be studying our spouse, just like we did when we're dating. This is another piece of this love, lifelong dating. That when you were dating, you studied them. What do they like? What do they not like? You ask questions. So it's amazing to me that the, the number of couples that are really hurting in marriage that I'm working with and, and they're, they, oh, I already know my spouse. We don't need to do that stuff we did back when we were dating. Well, you know what? You don't even know yourself. None of us fully knows ourself. And even if we did, we're always changing. That, you know, I really, my favorite snack right now, uh, do you guys have H-E-B here? Okay. So H-E-B has this, this, they make central market hummus. And they've got all different kinds of flavors. They now have central market Hatch chili hummus, and I told you I love spicy. And then, does, has anybody have? Um, does anybody eat those? Uh, oh man, it just went blank. Those chips—they're so good. They're made out in Del Rio. Uh, they now have the freaking hot chips. They are the hottest chips I've ever had. So I love my my new favorite snack is those freaking hot chips dipped in this hatch chili hummus. But in a year from now, I'm gonna be tired of that. There's going to be a new favorite snack. So we're always changing. And, and what we should be doing on a daily basis is just getting to know each other. And sometimes, very often, especially if we're not communicating well, we got to start on the surface. Because if I don't feel safe, remember, on the surface, ain't no way I'm going to go deep with you. As a marriage and family therapist in private practice, I quickly discovered that, for most situations, therapy wasn't what most of the couples needed as a first step. After some time of researching why this was so, I discovered that many of the top marriage experts, such as Gary Smalley, John Gottman, and Willard Harley, had discovered the same thing. As counselors and therapists themselves, they had learned that for most who seek out marriage counseling, the best first step is often not to start with counseling, although for many it is often the best second or third step. Like me at this point, you may be wondering to yourself why this is so. Isn't that what everybody in our culture tells us to do when we are having marital problems? Go get counseling? There are several factors that contribute to this phenomenon that would take too long to explain in more than just a few minutes, but a study by the Gottman Institute at the University of Washington showed that when couples start with marriage counseling or therapy, within 24 months, only 17% of them will still be married to each other. I don't know about you, but I would not elect for any medical treatment that said there's an 83% chance of death. Over the past 12 years, I have conducted over 100 marriage intensive workshops. The reason I started doing them in the first place is because they held a promise of a much higher success rate in fact, two separate studies have concluded that at least 70% of the couples who have attended these workshops are still married. So you see, the results of starting with counseling versus starting with a reputable intensive are overwhelmingly at polar ends of the success spectrum. I still believe in counseling. At any given time, I am working with numerous couples in a one-on-two counseling type setting. However, these are either premarital couples or couples who have already been through our Love Reboot, a marriage intensive workshop. So, if you have an okay marriage that you would like to be wonderful, 
If you have a stagnant marriage that seems to be more and more like two people just sharing a roof and bills. If you have recently been separated or considered separation, or either of you have suggested separation. If either one of you has considered or suggested divorce. If there's been a recent affair, or maybe you're just one of the many who has tried all sorts of approaches to growing your marriage, but none of them seem to have a lasting positive effect. If any of these applies, get to the next Love Reboot weekend that you can possibly put on your calendar. I say possibly instead of conveniently because we've seen so many couples who know they need it but can't seem to find a convenient time to make it happen. Suddenly they realize that they've come to a point where it's too late and one or both spouses is no longer willing to try. I don't know about you, but it is never convenient for me to set aside three days for something that doesn't sound like a vacation. If I needed a heart transplant, but waited until it was convenient to have the surgery, well, we all know where that goes. Love Reboot is the relational surgery that you know you can't put off any longer. So, join the hundreds of marriages that were once eroding, failing, or headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship with each other because of the new start that they got from attending a Love Reboot weekend. Find out when the next one is by going to our website, growinglovenetwork.org. And so we come, start at the surface. Let's, let's go for a swim today, but we start in the shallow end. We don't jump right into the deep end, so we help each other feel safe. So last night, the exercise that we did, that's what that was about. That when we are showing each other acceptance, we're finding, each other, uh, finding more out about each other. We're starting shallow. Did you notice the questions got a little deeper as you went? But then we're looking for ways to accept each other's answer. We're not trying to outdo each other. We're not trying to outsmart each other. And so that's what the scoring system is about, that you're, you're trying your best to show that you know the other person, although you don't completely, but you're also letting them be okay with being a little bit wrong sometimes, or sometimes a lot wrong. We're going to talk more about how to do that later this afternoon. So um, bottom line is, in other words, date for the rest of your life. Now, this is something that we learned very early on, Joanne, and I, in fact, in the very first marriage seminar that we went to. And so I thought, okay, dating, dinner, and a movie, dinner, and a movie. So at least, oh, probably once a month, we, especially, you know, when it's kind of harder once you start having kids to have that official date time, we would uh, go out and go dinner and a movie. But it wouldn't be, we wouldn't get a mile from the house before we're already arguing. And so after a while, we would, we would go to restaurants that were loud and noisy. We, we were doing this subconsciously, but we would pick restaurants that are loud and noisy because we didn't know how to relate to each other without arguing. So we would do, like in that movie Date Night, we, we'd make fun of the other people. We, what do you think they're talking about? What you, just anything to avoid us because we didn't know how to do us. And then we go to a movie so we wouldn't have to communicate. But you can date. Remember last night, date in quotations? Date, we had that date there at the Gata Fountain. You can date every single day of your life. You know, back when, back when you were dating, if you're like us, I mean, we couldn't afford to go out to dinner and a movie even once a week. We were, you know, st starving college students. So uh, we would date sitting on the couch, going on a walk, sitting in the car. You, you can date in, every day. You don't have to spend money on it. It is important to make it special and, and let it pinch your wallet now and then uh, to show that you're sacrificing for each other. But but you should be dating every day. Well, the problem is what we were doing as soon as we got in the car and left the kids with the babysitter is we were already starting to figure out, try to figure out how we were solve, trying to solve problems. So what do you think we, what, do, what should we tell the babysitter? Should we tell them to get in the kids' bed? Well, no, they don't need to go to bed. That. What do you mean? They didn't get in us, and we'd be arguing about stuff because we were trying to solve our life's problems on our date time. So one rule about date time just like last night, no problem solving, no bringing up issues. This is a time for us to get to know each other better and to accept what we find out.
Okay, back to backpacking. Let's go a few, a few pages up to where it says free yourself on the left-hand side. So remember that backpack. We were switching backpacks. What we needed to be doing was carrying our own backpack. Joanna cannot be everything that I want from a person. In fact, all the people in the world put together cannot be all I want from people. And same with you and same with your spouse. So when we saddle other people up with being responsible for our happiness, then, then we give them a burden that they can't carry. So let's, uh, I love freedom. Like I said, that's why I love backpacking. Let's talk about freedom here. Most seminars, classes, books, when you hear a speaker, in fact, one of my biggest fears is that uh, I'm going to cause you more harm, your relationship, your marriage, more harm than good. And there's a very good chance of that happening. Very good chance of that the result of you being here this weekend makes your marriage worse. And, and a lot of people, Joanne and I discovered this. It took us a few of these seminars. We go and we take a class and we learn some good material. We go hear somebody speak on marriage or go to a seminar and get some good information, some good tools, and we'd be all fired up. This is really going to help our marriage. And the reason we thought it was really going to help our marriage is because this other person, our spouse, was with us, and they were getting all this information. And so now you're going to go back and apply this all, all this information, and you're going to come back and be a better spouse to me. So it just, what it did, it was just raised our expectations of what the other person was going to do. And so we go back, let's say, for instance, we learned a great new communication tool. Like, uh, don't roll your eyes when your spouse is talking. Or don't interrupt when your spouse is talking. And so we go, okay, yeah, well, Joanna rolls her eyes at me, so now she's gonna, not going to roll our eyes anymore, and we're going to have a better marriage. And we go back, and a week later, I'm telling something that's real important to me, and she doesn't really care about it, and she's rolling her eyes Look, see, you're not doing what they told us. And she would go, you just interrupted me. You're not doing what you, and so now we've taken this, and this good material and we do just like what, what a lot of people do with the Bible. We don't use it for, for our own personal growth and for our own relationship with God. We use it to go pick out other people's faults and see who's wrong and who's right. And, and, and draw this line with who is in God's favor and who's not. I'm in God's favor because I do, you know, I follow this scripture, but you don't. And, and we get caught up in this thing that makes it a very toxic thing. And that's what happens with a lot of marriage help is people totally misuse it. It's a, this is, weekend is, if you're not doing this, then you might as well leave. This weekend is about you yourself becoming a better spouse. And lowering your expectations about what your spouse does. So um, if, if this is all you do, by the way, this two days, this is all you do hoping, oh, this will make our marriage good from now on. Uh, I'm also going to disappoint you there because you're going to need more. Like I was saying last night, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no stagnant marriage. The good marriages are the ones that continually work on growing. So... Um, I hope that you leave here sometime before you leave here that you think you get some idea of that's going to be my next step. That's how I'm going to grow some more. All right. Free yourself. The more you try to change your mate, the less you like your mate. The more you try to change your mate, the less you like them. I'm going to use the word mate because we may have people here that are not married or that are engaged or whatever. So mate, if you're married, that means your spouse. So when you try to change somebody, what it does is it, every time you do that, it just makes you recognize more what you don't like about them. And the more that you recognize what you don't like about them, the less you like them. The more you try to change your, your mate, the less your mate likes you. Remember the whole reason that they fell in love with you in the first place was because they thought you accepted them. So when you're trying to change them, you're giving them the exact opposite of what they married you for in the first place. So they're going to like you less. The more you try to change your mate, the more frustrated you become. Why? Because you can't. You can't change it. If, has anybody figured that out by now? 
I mean, you think I would because I go around preaching it, but I still find myself now and then going, boy, I need to work on that on Joanna. She really needs to change that. It's, it's so frustrating because I cannot change her. I mean, I have a hard enough time changing myself, but I can't change somebody else. And so when, I, when I'm doing it, it's like if, I, if there was a mountain in my way and I didn't want that mountain there and I didn't want it to spend the energy going around it, so I, I'm just going to break that down with my head. Well, I'm going to get pretty frustrated after a while, right? I'm probably going to have a busted up head, probably spending a lot of time in the hospital, but I'm not going to move that mountain with my head. And not only that, the people around me are going to start to get frustrated. You know, you probably have family members and friends that are frustrated with you because they see you trying to do something that can't be done, spending your time and energy and, 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 and resources on ch- trying to change your spouse, and you can't. My, uh, I think I told you last night, my best guy friend, his name is Russell Harrison. Russell and I, uh, we went through middle school, high school, and college together. So uh, we started becoming really good friends in, in high school, best friends. And then we went to college together, and I met Joanna, and I started dating Joanna. And then we were talking about getting married, and I said, Russell, hey, you know what? You know R- Joanna's big sister, Gina, she's only about six months older than us. I know she's in a grade ahead of us, but she's only about six months old. So if you married her and I married Joanna, then we could hang out with each other for the rest of our life. So that's why he married Gina so he could hang out with me. Well, uh, they got married about a year after we did. We moved to Colorado. Three months later, they moved to Colorado. They moved in the very same apartment complex as us. We lived in the same apartment complex, Joanna and I with Russell and Gina, not in the same apartment, but across the complex for five years. And Russell and I worked together at the same company for five years. So we carpooled to and from work every day, every weekday for five years. Now, let me know if this is not working with the rain, we'll switch to handheld, right? Um, well, during his five years is during those years three and four. Oh, th- I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Lord, please, I- I'll try harder. I- okay, what did I say? Mike's going, uh, this ain't nothing. So, when we're driving to and from work, it's during this years three and four when our marriages really hit rock bottom. And so uh, about probably at least twice a week on the way to work, I'd hop in the car and right off the bat, I'd be going on a rant about what's wrong with Joanna. And I would go do this for, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And after about a year, we're riding to work one day and I'm on one of my rants and Russell said, John, stop. I don't want to hear it anymore. I said, okay, enough for today. He goes, no, I don't want to hear you talking about Joanna bad anymore. And I was like, you mean for good? Yeah. Well, well, wait a second, Russ. I'm committed to Joanna. I love her. Yeah. I'm just, you know, you're my best friend. I'm just, you know, venting. That's what best friends are for, right? To vent. I don't know about that, John. Well, I mean... You're the only one I say this stuff to. You know, I don't go around telling everybody. Yeah, uh, I don't want to hear it anymore. And I, I was hurt, which actually then quickly turns to anger. I thought I'd lost my best friend. And I went back to him a few days later and I said, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I, you're the only one that I talk to. And who do I have to talk to about what, you know, my frustrations with Joanna? He said, you know what, John? You think you're blowing off steam when you're venting to me? You're not. You're building gas. You don't make your marriage better by telling people what's wrong with your spouse. They can't change your spouse. You can't change them. What you do, you think about it. When you've been saying something bad about your spouse to somebody, after you're finished saying that, you feel you, you, you like them a lot more, right? No. You like them less. It, it makes things worse. Now, I can go to Russell this, to this day. They actually, we moved to San Antonio eventually. They did too. Uh, they're still right there. Uh, but I can go to Russell this day, to this day and say, hey, I'm struggling with something in my marriage. And he'll listen to me until I start talking bad about Joanna. And, whoa, 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 John. This is not about something you can't fix. 
what can you do different? And that's what he'll help me explore. And I've learned also another thing that good, that's what good friends do. Good friends don't let you. If, if you have a good friend that is coming between the two of you, that's not a good friend. If they're a good friend they, and they care about you, then they care about your marriage. Because that's your most important earthly relationship. If they don't care about your marriage, they're not a good friend. And this may even include family members, parents. Now, I'm not saying that you go and tell your parents if they're getting in between you and your spouse, hey, you're dead to me. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm saying some of you may have to set some, people, set some people down in your life and say, look, this is my most important relationship. You can't be neutral on this. You're either going to be a part of making our marriage better or making it worse. There's no in between. So if you're not going to be a part of it being better, then I can't be around you. I love you. I hope that changes, but I cannot be around you. Joanne and I had the blessing of, uh, well, we're really blessed. Both of our parents understood this early on. Right after we got married, both of our parents lived in the same town as us, and we're poor, starving, you know, college students. So at least once a week, we'd go to her parents' house to eat, and at least once a week, we'd go to my parents' house to eat. And so, you know, a few months into being married, when we've been trying to change what we don't like about each other, once we get moved in, you know, we start recognizing all these things we want to change about each other. Well, our efforts to change the other person weren't working, so we started thinking, I need to get more people to help me do this. So when we go to my house, I would bring up something that I think needs to change about Joanna with my family. You know what they would do? They take her side. Even when they knew I was right. And I was like, you're supposed to be on my side. And then we'd go to her house and she would do the same. She'd bring up something with her parents that she was not being able to change about me, hoping that they, and they'd take my side. And I'd be like, yeah, see, even when I was wrong. And this is important. We're going to talk about this too. You can always take somebody's side even when they're wrong. You can always take somebody's side even when they're wrong. So, for instance, let's say that uh, we're sitting around my family's table, and I know my whole family believes that zebras ought to be able to run free. But Joanna and her family thinks that some zebras should be in a zoo. Well, so Joanna brings up at my family's table, shouldn't some zebras be in a zoo? And I think, and now they all know that Everybody in my family thinks all zebras ought to be able to run free, so I got this one. Well, my, one of my parents would wisely say, you know what? You do have a good point, Joanna. We wouldn't even know about zebras if we didn't get to go visit them in a zoo. So they're not agreeing with her, you see, but they're still taking her side. We can always take our spouse's side even when we don't agree, and I want to show you this afternoon how we, how we can do that. And this is all because you cannot change your mate. Therefore, free yourself from trying to change your mate. So lasting love begins and ends with the mirror. Okay, I'm going to make this short and to the point. The podcast you're listening to, Relationship Rewire, is a free service to the public provided by Growing Love Network, a nonprofit organization. That means we don't make a profit. In fact, to be able to do what we do, which is to provide top-notch innovative help for marriages, we rely on donors so that everyone can have access to the help they need regardless of the ability to pay. Won't you take a moment, hit the pause button, and go to growinglovenetwork.org, click on the donate button, and give what you can. If you're not sure about it at this moment, hit pause anyway, just for 15 seconds, and ask yourself if this is what you should do. Go ahead, I'll wait.
Did you hit pause and go donate? Good, thank you. If not, hit pause now. Hello, this is Max Locato. You're listening to Relationship Rewire. I had something that I was going to bring for each one of you here. And then I realized when uh, I was talking with Jonathan a couple weeks ago, the numbers we were thinking, you know, at first, oh, maybe we'll have 50 couples and Oh, we're now we got 70 and uh, like, and so I went to count my mirrors and I didn't have enough for each person. So then I tried to order some and to get them on time was going to cost uh, several hundred dollars more to, to speed it. So I didn't get, but I usually hand out to each person a mirror and uh, it's a little pocket mirror and I ask you th- them all to open it up. So I want you to imagine you're doing this with me. Imagine that everybody in this room that you have a little mirror that's permanently attached to the palm of your hand. Now, if you're using a mirror for its intended purpose, the intended purpose is for self-reflection. You can use it for a lot of other things. You know, you can, if you're stranded in the desert, you can try to signal a plane with it or something like that, or to look around a corner. But the intended purpose of a mirror is for self-reflection, to see what what can I do different? Is there some spinach in my teeth? Okay, yeah, get that out. Um, Not for self-abuse, not to, not to look and go, oh, that's why I'm so unlovable. No, you're 100% lovable. You're a creation creature of God. You're, you're his favorite creation. The mirror is to see how I can improve. And we all, we all have room to grow, right? So if I'm using that mirror to show somebody else what they can do, I'm misusing the mirror. The mirror is for me to self-reflect. So imagine you've got this mirror. When you're looking in the mirror, then you don't elbow your spouse. So you may be hearing something this weekend that you're like, oh, that's the perfect thing that my spouse needed to hear. And your first reaction, your gut instinct is to go, do you hear that, honey? Mm -hmm. I hope you wrote that down in the blank. And maybe there's other ways of elbowing. You can, you can, you know, not actually elbow. You can just like underline it or circle it in your book or put a big star hoping they'll see it. If you're like Joanne and I, you can elbow without making a noise, moving a muscle. I don't believe in ESP, but maybe it's osmosis. I don't know. But I can be sitting there thinking, boy, I hope Joanna hears this. And she'll go, what? And I'll go, what, what? You're thinking that, you know, you hope I heard this. You don't know what I'm thinking. You can't read my mind. How is she reading my mind? So if you're like me... Every time you have a thought, not just this weekend, but especially this weekend, oh, I hope they heard that. Recognize, oh, I just got my mirror out of place. And bring that mirror back and go, okay, how is God trying to get to me to grow? How can I apply this? And in fact, when you turn the mirror towards somebody else, it gets you the very opposite of what you're hoping for. Because what what happens when you say, hey, look, this is how you need to change. If they're sitting there looking at their mirror trying to to figure out how they can grow, what's your natural human instinct? Oh, really? Well, here's how you can change. They quit looking in their mirror, right? So we actually shut down the process when we take our mirror away from our our face and, and hold it up to our spouse. So keep that in mind. Keep that mirror up. Free yourself from trying to change your spouse. It's super freeing. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I have to, there's days when I have to remind myself two or three times, oh, yes, I freed myself from that. I can't change Joanna. Let's go on to the next page. Free your mate from being responsible for your happiness slash joy. Now, I used to just put the word happiness here. But I think happiness and joy are two very different things. Happiness is when things outside of me are going the way I like. Joy doesn't depend on things outside of me. Paul talks about in Romans, not not Romans, in Acts, Paul is in a prison, 
chained. This is 2,000 years ago, so I'm imagining this is not a modern-day prison. They may not even feed you every day. Uh, they probably have you chained to a wall, and you're probably sitting in your own feces. And there's probably rats chewing on your toes. And what is Paul doing? He's singing. In fact, that's what Paul says. I've discovered one of these great mysteries, these great secrets in life to find joy in all circumstances. So I'm all for happiness. Believe me, I, I love it when happy things happen to me, but happiness requires that everything outside of me is doing things the way I want it to be. And so the people who are going around trying to be happy in life are actually the saddest people in life because whenever their circumstances don't all fit their, what their desires, which uh, is almost always true, right? Then they go, I got to change my circumstances. I got to change my spouse. I got to get a new car. I got to get a new job. And they just go from one thing to another, hoping that it's going to sustain. And it's not. It can't. Joy, on the other hand, is I can, I can have peace. I can be full inside no matter my circumstances. Your mate can't fluently speak your love language. There are two books, great books. I use a lot of the material in them for a lot of the things I do that have had a huge impact on our culture. Even if you haven't heard of these two books, you will recognize something about the titles. One of them, Willard Harley's book that came out in the early 90s, His Needs, Her Needs, and another one that came out by Gary Chapman called Five Love Languages. Great books. I, I highly recommend them if you're going to use them to, to grow yourself and not try to change your spouse. But even if you haven't heard of those two books, you've heard people say, you might even say it yourself, he or she doesn't speak my love language. He or she doesn't meet my needs. Guess what? They can't. They're never going to speak your love language fluently. Now, that doesn't exempt us. We should, if we're growing, if we're getting better, if we're truly loving our spouse, then we are getting better at learning their love language. But just understand that they're never going to learn it fluently. Nobody else in the world, everybody else, everybody has their own separate love language. And nobody, all the people in the world put together aren't going to be able to make you feel like you're at home in your own space. So, your mate can't fluently speak your love language. Your mate can't meet your needs. Again, this doesn't exempt us. We should be getting, for loving people, we should be getting better and better at filling some of those needs. But I also have a problem with the needs. What do we need? We need food, shelter, water, air. We need God. Yeah, I, we do need human interaction. But again, all the humans in the world can't fill up those holes of that connection that we need. So the more that you put this burden on your spouse of you're supposed to meet my needs and you're supposed to speak my love language, the more we just saddle them up with that backpack that they can't carry. How you think and feel about your mate is more influenced by what you do than what they do. I'm going to say this one again because this is huge. How you think and how you feel about your spouse has more to do with what you do than what they do. This is counterintuitive, right? Because we like to think, oh no, the way, you're making me feel this way. You, no. Yes, your spouse can do some things that make your thoughts and feelings more likely, but ultimately, your thoughts and feelings come from yourself. And I'll talk more about that this afternoon too, but um, let me give you this example. This guy came to me a few years back. He was in his mid-60s, and he said, John, um, I, I want your help. I think I'm depressed. I said, well, that's not really what I specialize in. Um, you know, I, I can refer you to some people that specialize in depression. He said, no, I, I, I know you, trust you, so I'd like to, you to work with me. So I said, okay, we'll give it a shot. So... Um, uh, he shows up for the first session, and, and I said, so why do you think you're depressed? He said, well, I, I mean, you know, my wife died two years ago, and I just can't, it's such a struggle for me to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, it's just like 
Some mornings, it takes me forever just to get out of bed. I just want to sleep. And then when I do get out of bed, all, I mean, several times a day, I sometimes have to pull over to the side of the road because I can't see because I'm crying so hard. Just, I miss her so much. And it's been two years, and I, you know, I knew there was some grieving process, but two years now, and this is still on a daily basis. And I said, what's that you got there? He had two spiral notebooks he'd brought with him. He said, oh, yeah, I wanted you to see these. This is, uh, to, I want you to see how much I, I love her, miss her. And I, and I said, okay, so t- tell me about those spiral notebooks. He said, well, uh, when we found out that she had this terminal cancer, the doctor said that it's very likely she's not. It was, it was uh, melanoma, yeah. So she had melanoma. And they said she's, it's likely she's not going to live past a year. When I heard that, I was secretly glad because I did not like her. And then after a few days, you know, he said, I, I was thinking, yes, I'm going to get to live out the rest of my life without this ball and chain. And I was kind of excited about it. But then I started feeling guilty, and I went to somebody at my church one of our leaders, and I said, oh, man, I'm, this guilt is eating me alive. I'm, I'm secretly glad that my wife is going to die. And he, and he told me, uh, well, I want you to go get a spiral notebook, and every single day, for until she dies, every single day, you write, you put the date, and you write something, at least just one thing is all it has to be, but something that you're thankful for her. So I looked at the first spiral, the first entry the first, on the first day when he started doing this had the date and two words, good cook. And then I started, I thumbed through, and, and some days they were starting to get longer and longer. And then I took the second spiral and looked at it, and, and some of the entries were pages long, and they looked like they'd been written by a love-struck poet. And I'm just on and on about how wonderful she is. And I said, wow, so this cancer really changed her. And he goes, no, it changed me. This right here is what changed me. She was always a wonderful person. A lot of people thought so. I thought so at the beginning. But I had chosen over time to focus on all the things I didn't like about her. And that's all I saw. And it changed me. I was the one that needed to change. How you think and how you feel about your spouse has more to do with what you do than what they do. When you free your mate from being responsible for your happiness, you give them, you free them to give you real love. See, when I require my spouse to make me feel loved, then everything they do out of love for me All I see it as, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's, you're fulfilling your obligation. So I don't appreciate it. And then, of course, when they don't feel appreciated, then they feel like, I'm just doing this out of obligation, and it takes the joy out of it for them. But when I, when my spouse does a loving thing for me, and I show them, oh, that's, you went above and beyond. That's a gift that you gave me and I show appreciation for it, then they want to do it more, right? When they get a good reaction, then, oh, then, so it's, it's, it's this great paradox. The more that I, that's the less that I expect love from my spouse, then the more I see it as a gift, and then the more I appreciate it, and the more they want to, to give me those gifts. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize relationships for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this or any of our episodes. Send us an email to relationshiprewire at gmail.com. While you're out there, pray that the rain stops for just a little bit. <laughs>